Good evening. It's time for local news, 430. I'm Julie Hersey with these stories. A new scientific paper published this fall shows that the pink salmon population is booming in the North Pacific Ocean, and global warming is helping it happen. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the new evidence suggests that pinks are not just outcompeting other salmon species, but they're affecting the whole ecosystem, from the microscopic to large marine whales. Pink salmon numbers have skyrocketed due to global warming. While many species throughout the world are struggling to adjust to hotter temperatures, pink salmon are thriving. Salmon researcher Greg Rugaroni is the lead author of a new 40-page study published in the scientific journal Marine Ecology Progress Series. Pink salmon are, are one of the winners in terms of climate change. But for every winner, there is a loser, or in this case, several. The new research shows that the spike in pink salmon in recent decades is affecting the ocean's fragile food chain. Pink salmon run on an every-other-year cycle. The population in the odd-number years is 25% greater than even-number years. And when pink numbers are up, other species are down. From phytoplankton to zooplankton, forage fishes, all five species of Pacific salmon, and marine birds, um, it all points to pink salmon. Scientists don't know all the reasons that pink salmon are doing better in warmer waters, but they do know that pinks are better than other salmon species at finding prey and growing from their nutrients. In fact, they're the fastest-growing salmon, ready to spawn in just two years, three times faster than kings. Plus, hatcheries are bolstering their population, pumping roughly 5 billion salmon annually into the Pacific Ocean, mostly pinks and chums. The general assumption is that the ocean has significant capacity to support them all. But Rugaroni says his new research proves that's not the case. I think the evidence that we provided in that synthesis um, leads to the observation that the ocean has a limited carrying capacity to support both wild salmon plus massive numbers of uh, hatchery chum and pink salmon. His new research shows that when pink salmon are especially abundant, that's when other species suffer. Pinks eat a ton of prey from zooplankton to small fish. In turn, this creates smaller and fewer other salmon species, as well as steelhead trout. Less growth in Alaska's herring population, a 33% lower birth rate in humpback whales in southeast Alaska, and higher mortality and lower birth rates in endangered orcas in Puget Sound. The study also connects the pink salmon cycle to nearly a dozen species of seabirds. They laid more eggs in even years, good years, than they did in odd years, bad years. Alan Springer is a co-author of the study. He's a seabird researcher with the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He says they got data from scientists all over the world who found biennial patterns. A variety of then associated reproductive kinds of parameters all varied. Uh, in lockstep with that even-odd-year pattern in pink salmon. Things like emaciated and starving shearwater birds on an every-other-year cycle. The scientists say there is no evidence for other explanations for the biennial patterns that have been recorded. You know, sea surface temperature or wind speeds or these atmospheric indexes of whatever um, fail to show any kind of similar patterns. So that's kind of what for us is the bottom line. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game is skeptical of the paper's findings, 
Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang, in a written response, called the paper a hypothesis and said it's the subject of an ongoing debate among scientists. He said, quote, The conclusions put forth are stated as more definitive than the strength of the evidence that backs them up. The researchers, like Rigoroni, agree that it's a hypothesis, but a strong one. More research is, is certainly needed. But this is what the data shows. It doesn't mean you have all the answers as to why. Exactly. But again, with the synthesis paper, an important part of it is just the consistency in the relationships uh, across all these different uh, taxa. Taxa meaning a biological group. The authors hope that other scientists take their findings and dig deeper into all the ways the large pink salmon population could be affecting other species in the North Pacific. And timing is of the essence, as ocean temperatures are expected to rise. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Petersburg volunteer firefighters responded to a fire just after 10 o'clock on Friday morning last week. A 20-foot box trailer had caught fire at 8.8-mile Mikoff Highway. An ambulance also responded because there were reports of people on the property. Property owners were able to dampen the fire with a garden hose. It took about 15 minutes for volunteer firefighters to finish the job. The fire seemed to have come from a small generator that had been sitting outside the trailer. The generator had been powering a heater inside the trailer. Fire and EMS Director Aaron Hankins said the fire was mostly contained to the generator itself, but it did burn the front part of the trailer as well. He says the cause of the fire will not be investigated further. This took place um, across the service area one line, and that falls outside of um, our jurisdictional area. Service Area 1 is the part of the borough of Petersburg that receives the full range of services and pays a higher rate of property taxes for those services. Hankin says even though the borough charter states, quote, no fire or EMS response shall occur outside of Service Area 1, unquote, the volunteer fire department will sometimes respond to fires beyond those boundaries. That only happens if there are enough volunteers in town to respond to a possible second fire in service area one. Designers unveiled four possible development options for Juno's Telephone Hill neighborhood last month. About 50 people attended a community meeting to review the potential plans. As Katie Anastas reports, many of them called for the city to consider a no-build option instead of adding new housing. Telephone Hill has seven houses and one five-unit apartment building. Tenants paid rent to the state until March when the city and borough of Juneau became the owner of the downtown property. City leaders say they want to put more housing there, but tenants have opposed any plan that would force them to leave their homes. The city contracted with First 40 Feet, an Oregon-based company, to come up with a design and development plan. On Wednesday, they presented four possible designs at a community meeting. Just one involves keeping the existing homes. Jason Graff is a designer with First 40 Feet. Everything is possible. The four concepts we're showing you today is, is, are not concepts that say no change. So there is some anticipated change on the hill. All four designs add more housing to Telephone Hill, but in different ways. Option A would replace the existing houses with 30 single-family townhomes. Option B has about 60 units, with a mix of townhomes and three-story apartments. Option C features mid-rise apartment buildings, 
which could add up to 200 units to the hill. Finally, option D would put apartment buildings among the existing houses. First 40 feet architect James Brackenhoff said that could add 40 new units to Telephone Hill. We wanted to make sure we provided an option that um, took on board what we've been hearing from some of the folks in the community about preserving some of the homes. Brackenhoff said they still need to determine whether or not it's feasible to preserve the homes. Downtown resident Joshua Adams said he was skeptical the city would consider keeping the homes, even if the community favored that option. We all know that the city is going to look at this with the survey and say, no, none of these buildings can can be feasibly restored. Anybody who knows anything about historic restorations knows that it's at least three times as expensive to restore something properly than it is to tear it down and build it new. Does that mean that we shouldn't preserve our history? Many attendees said they didn't think the city should add any new housing at all. Skip Gray, a former Telephone Hill resident, said he's frustrated that the questionnaires don't have a no-build option. There just aren't any answers on those surveys that I want to push the button on. And that kind of tends to lead people to saying things I think that they don't really want. It's just like the only answer there. But Betsy Brenneman, another former Telephone Hill resident, told attendees that the Planning Commission and Assembly were the right people to contact about a no-build option. You're shooting the messenger a lot tonight, which is not necessary, but because the city asked for this plan. Brenneman said she favors keeping the existing homes, but she's open to adding more units around them. If we don't get more people living downtown, you are going to have more closed storefronts in the winter. You are not going to have any businesses downtown. We have to get more people downtown. Some attendees worried the new houses or apartments wouldn't be affordable. Chris Zahas, a consultant tasked with identifying developers for the project, said the city can require a certain amount of affordable housing in its contracts with developers. If the city offered subsidies to developers, those could come with conditions that reflect the community's values. Whether that's housing or historic preservation or um, open space, things like that. Things that the market wouldn't necessarily do on its own, but the city's in a position to kind of put strings attached to it to get what um, the community wants out of it. Anyone interested in providing input about the project can email telephone.hill at juno.gov. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. Alaska communities are gearing up to target an unprecedented level of federal funding dedicated to addressing climate change. Rural Alaskans are seeing some of the most severe effects of human-caused climate change, and the Alaska Municipal League, headed by Niels Andreasen, is working to prepare those communities to get some of this grant money. We're not competing against each other, right? We're competing against 20,000 other cities in America and If we can help Alaska communities be in a better position to compete, then then they can start to address some of the real issues that they're experiencing in their communities. The Alaska Municipal League secured its own half-million-dollar grant from the Environmental Protection Agency last month to do this work. Over the next three years, they'll work with the University of Alaska Anchorage, the State Health Department, and the Alaska Federation of Natives to assess how climate change is affecting health in rural Alaska and help rural communities develop individual plans to address climate change. These are called climate action plans, and communities often need them to apply for federal funds. Micah Hahn is a UAA researcher 
involved in developing these plans. She says climate change affects the health of rural Alaskans in many ways, from threatened subsistence resources to extreme weather. Water and sanitation might be another one that comes up. A lot of the communities don't have piped water and so are relying on pipes that are above the ground. And as permafrost is thawing, the pipes break, essentially. Han says those issues need to be addressed and that going through this assessment process will help communities identify what they need to address with climate change on the ground. Andreasen says they hope to start work by the beginning of next year. Alaska's largest federally recognized tribe is opening a new office in Linwood, Washington. Katie Anastas has this story. The Central Council of the Clinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska represents more than 36,000 people. More than 8,200 tribal citizens live in Washington state. Now, those citizens can go to an office in Linwood, Washington for in-person help with things like enrollment, tribal court services, and child welfare. Clinket and Haida President Chahiaish Richard Peterson says it's the tribe's latest step in establishing a presence in all of its communities. I've always said we're going to meet our citizens where they're at, so it's kind of that promise kept. Linwood is just north of Seattle. The new office has 20 staff. There's also a large classroom where Clinket and Haida education staff can host language, arts, and cultural programs. Peterson hopes it will help build community among tribal citizens who live in Washington. You know, and living in an area like Seattle where you could go about your daily life and never, you know, look across and see somebody who looks like you, who has your background, who is similar to you, you're going to be able to go in and feel like you're home. Clinket and Haida recognizes 21 communities in and outside of Alaska as community council chapters. The tribe has opened two offices in Anchorage in the last two years. Peterson says he's seen how much it means for tribal citizens there. Just driving downtown Anchorage and you see a Clinket and Haida sign, that, that you, your head kind of spins around. We've had people walk in right off the street and they're saying, hey, I'm Clinket or hey, I'm Haida, what's this? And we start telling them, and I've had people literally tear up. You know, they're so excited about having those connections and opportunities. Washington-based staff started moving into the Linwood office last week. Clinket and Haida is hosting a grand opening on Wednesday. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. And that's it for this evening news. Coming up next, we'll have weather.